Hey, Orioles fans, welcome to this week's edition of Yard Work on MassInSports.com. Along with Orioles beat writer Steve Molesky, I am Brian Eller. Steve, what's going on, man? Hey, Brian, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. I know we uh, recorded our last episode pretty recently, but as usual, I feel like there's a there's a ton of news that's happened over the past few days, so we'll, uh, no shortage of, uh, of happenings in, in Birdland there. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you know, I think the Orioles recently kind of stabilized things here with the series with uh, New York and Boston. They went 4-3 and three in those seven games and going to welcome the Pirates in here coming up, so... Uh, Hopefully they finish the homestand strong. Yeah, I I, I think it's interesting because I was listening to the the pregame. Uh, it was extra before Sunday's series finale against Boston, and um, Buck was mentioning how he he can never remember an American League East that's this balanced and this good. And I mean, we always talk about how the American League East it always seems to be one of the better divisions. And if you're if you're going to win it, it's going to be a grind. But but taking a closer look, he he's definitely onto something. This division is just stacked. So you know, from top to bottom. And I think it's interesting the fact that if you kind of look at where the Orioles sit, you know, as we tape this on Sunday evening, they're uh, three games above 500. And I think considering maybe the hot start that they got off to, some fans might consider their current record a disappointment. But then you look at their record against the American League East, which is which is quite good. And it's not just a six or seven game sample size. They, they've, they've pretty much played the AL East for a lot of the season. And that's, that, that's at least a little bit encouraging and nice to see that, hey, they can hang, especially in a division that's so competitive, you know? I think it does bode well. It is it is really strange that they have a losing record outside of the American League East, but the twenty one and thirteen in the AL East, and that was twenty one and eleven until they lost the last two against Boston. So really strong in the division. Of course, they got off a great start. We know that, and they played a heavy AL East schedule early, almost exclusively, and that was really good to get off to the good start. But there's just something about. It's it's a comfort level, I think, is kind of the way Brad Brock explained it to me the other night. And that doesn't mean comfortable level doesn't mean you're going to win because the teams are so good. But it just feels right. I don't know. It's just there's just as I said, they're just used to these hitters. They know the pitchers so well. Um, they scout them so well. There's no secrets when it's American League East. The games feel so big. And um, hopefully that bodes well for the year because, you know, you play more than half against the East. Yeah, you, you kind of said it. There's no secret. There's no tricks. You know, everybody's everybody's exposed and, and not in a bad way. You know, it, it really just kind of comes down to your guys versus my guys or your, your, that day starting pitcher against the lineup and may the best man or best team win. And that, that that's I, I like I like that when when baseball comes down to that, you know. Me, too. I mean, I like these rivalries. I've heard people over the years say they ought to go to a a balanced schedule where you play the Yankees uh, equal to the Royals, to the Twins, to the Angels. And I, I don't like that myself. I really do like the American League East. I think there's a lot of pride around the division. They're they're bitter rivalries, and they're you know fans don't like each other and all that. But when you get down to it, I think there's a little pride that the division is so good year in and year out. And, I mean, just look down the road at the Nationals, who have a very good team. We know that. No disrespect to the Nationals. But their division is chopped liver compared to the American League East. And they're, you know, maybe that would be better for a team to run away with it and not have a team that can threaten them. But in the East, it's, uh, you know, five, there's five teams that can win this thing. There's no one that looks out of it. And each are going to have their moments, we know, over the 162 games. Certainly. And, I mean, going off the three game series against the Yankees and the four against the Red Sox where the Orioles split there, um, we'll kind of dive into, into that series because that's sort of fresh. Uh, on our minds there. I think 
you know, there's some, as usual with any series, there's some positives, there's some negatives to take away. Um, I guess we'll start with the positives. Uh, Manny Machado kind of finding some rhythm there. You know, he had hits in all four games against Boston. Um, I kind of take a step back and, and say, Okay, it's great to certainly see him uh, start to get uh, some hits. I know he was at had to have been over twenty or, or creeping up to that that mark there, and that even for the the toughest mental guy, um, that that might start to weigh on you a little bit. So it's nice to kind of see him break out of that funk. But at the same time, don't go. To, I I know we won't go too overboard with that because you know he uh, he was average was you know. 220 entering the final series versus New York. He has a hitless series against them to drop it, but then, you know, four hits against Boston brings it back up to 219. So it's, it's all it takes is a good series or a bad series at this early stage as we're in June uh, to kind of put the numbers, skew the numbers there. But it was nice to see Machado kind of have his bat come around, and hopefully that'll transition towards uh, in the future. Well, it was indeed. And, uh, you know, I think um, Masson or Fox or one of, you know, our network or maybe it was the other network who did the game Saturday – that showed some pregame video of Manny, how hard he was working to hit the ball to right and right center. And Cool Ball was videotaping him just off like a cell phone, you know, with all the gadgets they have. Uh, he was going old school, I guess, you know, with a cell phone and just showing Manny some some, some looks. And, um, you know, he's got such a quick bat that he can let the ball travel deeper into the, you know, as hitters like to say, let the ball travel, meaning, you know, you can start your swing a split second later, and he can drive the ball out to any field. So I think as he uh, settles in here, I think he's weathered this storm. I don't think he's stressing over low average, but I think he he knows he's got to get it going there, and he's still been productive with the home runs, 12, and hit that massive homer in the Boston series into the second deck. So uh, I think we saw less um, crazy swings from him, if that's the word. Uh, less wild swings in this series, and, I, and and it does look like he's starting to uh, get it going a little bit. I think we're still waiting for that massive home run to land. I mean, that was a mammoth was. shot. You don't see that second deck very often, but that was that's, that's always fun to see for a, a ballpark that sees a lot of home runs and a team that hits so many home runs. You kind of become numb to them sometimes. It's just like, oh yeah, another long ball, another long ball. But the, when you see kind of one like that, that kind of uh, breaks a barrier or does something like that, that's always fun to watch. It is. Um, if you could clone, or not clone, if you could combine uh, Mancini and Machado right now with Mancini's all-field approach and ability to hit the outside pitch to right with Manny's just massive power um, and bat speed, which Trey has some too, but not like Machado. I mean, you'd have Mike Trout. You know, you'd have a guy who could hit for average power, hit all over. And I love what Mancini's doing right now. And I think uh, Buck's comment over the weekend about you know, sometimes hitters come up here and try to hit homers, and they need to keep the approach that Mancini's got. Uh, was um, it was interesting? He said it. it was almost like he was not calling anybody out in his own clubhouse, but saying he almost you read between the lines was saying, "I wish more of our guys would do that." And I think fans have said that for years. Uh, and Mancini's a breath of fresh air. I mean, he he takes uh, Kimbrel to the right field wall, and he just kind of flicked the flick the bat in an outside pitch, and it goes off the scoreboard in right field against Kimbrell, who's just dominating everybody the last few weeks. So, Manny, I think as he, with Chris Davis, we see it sometimes, as more balls get driven to the off field, it's better overall for the player. 
And, I mean, Mancini, as you said, he's just – he's playing so well, and it's – kind of segues into our, our, our next topic, which has been kind of coming up the past week or so, is Pedro Alvarez down in AAA Norfolk. You know, he, we, we saw Michael Bourne exercise his opt-out. Uh, he, I think, has since signed with, with the Angels, I believe. But Pedro Alvarez, kind of, I, I guess you could call it a bit of a surprise move. They, he was able to work with the Orioles and extend his opt-out clause. And he's, I think he's still, um, as, of, as of our recording, he's still on the Norfolk roster. Um, I guess that's kind of a, I know he wants to be in the majors. He wants to play. The Orioles certainly want him to play. I mean, his, his month of May, if you looked at his stats, is incredible, as you know. Um, they're just, they're just, it's hard to find a spot for him on this roster, particularly because Mancini's like, hey, guys, um, I'm here to stay, you know? He is. He's not going back right now, and, and there just isn't a room for Pedro Alvarez uh, that I see, barring the trade, which I don't see coming, or an injury, which we can never see coming till it's there. So um, of, of the two opt-out guys, if you want to call them that, Pedro Alvarez and Edwin Jackson, I would think by Tuesday's game, Edwin Jackson could be on this team Um if he takes his opt-out, the Orioles are going to have to make a decision. They've been very positive about his pitching. The downside is he's not an optionable pitcher like, you know, the end of the bullpen guys that have been shuttled in and out. You know, Logan Verrett, you know him, Mike Wright, those guys can go back and forth. Edwin Jackson can't. Once he's here, he's there to stay, or they risk losing him if they try to send him out. So I think, but they're going to take a look at him, Brian. That's my guess. No one said it. It's just my hunch. The reading with the tea leaves that they've reached a point where let's take a look and see what we got. And there's nothing to lose if he pitches poorly, or he gets to the major leagues and doesn't look good. They're going to cut him. They're going to the next guy. Right, and yeah, I mean that was. It, it's more likely we'll see Edmund. I'm not sure how much the 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 fact that he can't be optioned is a. Uh, is a deal breaker for for Buck and Dan, but obviously they're that's what they get paid to do those those tough decisions, and uh, he certainly could help out the bullpen that that continues to kind of ha- uh, have to stand on its own shoulders and 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 uh, pick up a little bit of slack from the starting rotation. Which again, we saw some up and downs um, over the weekend series against Boston, but uh, certainly a, a fresh arm, especially one that's playing well, would be a welcomed addition uh, to the bullpen there. And actually, I think if I remember correctly, a nice bit of trivia: Edwin Jackson uh, was the pitcher who allowed Matt. Wee- Weeders' first uh, first career hit, uh, former Oriole Matt Weeders. So a little oh, bit of wow. trivia there, if I remember correctly. So that, that goes back a little ways. But um, I mean, he hasn't pitched great in recent years, but he's pitching pretty well this year. That's the reports they're getting, and he's a you know versatile guy. Can pitch, you know, an inning, go a couple more. Could even start. He started obviously in his career. So you know, that's my guess. I'll probably be proven wrong on this. That of the two, Alvarez and Jackson were more likely to see Jackson. Uh, right now I, I would agree there for sure um and in terms of just like other news we know wellington castillo still on the disabled list i I, we, I don't think his his gosh i don't know i guess what we call his groin area injury we know it's similar to what caleb joseph uh you know that uh, suffered last year but it seems to be a little bit more promising it's not going to sideline him according to reports as long as uh, caleb last year which uh, thank goodness for that but he will go on an injury rehab assignment before coming off the 10-day disabled list um, and as far as I can tell, I don't know if Steve, you've heard anything different as we tape this, no real significant updates on closer Zach Britton or, uh, Ryan Flaherty, uh, Britton playing catch down in Sarasota, uh, kind of at progressing as, as the Orioles would hope. And Ryan Flaherty still waiting to be cleared to start throwing. So that's, that's, I think kind of where we're at in terms of some of the, uh, the injured birds. I think Flaherty is going to throw soon. And of course that'll probably be real light too. 
but Britain is throwing, you know, he's firmly throwing. That's the word we heard. So that's, it just seems like they're going in real small increments here at the beginning, and it'll pick up a little later, but um, there are still very early stages for Britain. Right, and I mean, with Castillo sideline, obviously he's having a great year and is still high in the uh, the All Star voting for for catching. I think he was second behind uh, Salvador Perez of the Royals last last I checked. But um, I saw Buck was talking earlier about um, the this the catching depth within the organization that seems to be very impressive. Obviously, at the major league level with Wellington sideline, you got Caleb Joseph and Francisco Pena who. Um, again, Sunday's fresh in our mind because as we tape this, you know, I know he had the, the rough throw down the line to try and get the guy picked off a, a third there, and the two runs ended up scoring. That's a tough throw to make, and I know Buck really praised his ability to, to block that that wild pitch at the plate, um, which which definitely would have allowed a run there. So that's um, – I think he certainly did a good job and helped Tillman kind of work through some early issues there. But just even on the farm, we all, we no chance Cisco. He seems to be the big name that, that fans talk about just because he's high on the prospect list. He's hitting well with Norfolk and improving his defense. And also, uh, Buck mentioned Austin Wins uh, down in Bowie, who's uh, hitting I think three or four in forty four games with the Bay Sox there, and is also a pretty good defender. So we, the Orioles kind of seem to be a little bit uh, rich at the catcher position, which is good to see. Well, Austin Wins is someone we can't count out of having a chance to make it to Baltimore one day because. Uh, he is not on the 40-man roster, but he's a 10th-round draft pick from several years ago, and his offense has just been trending up over the last few years to where he was hitting high 200s. Now he's hitting, as you said, 300. And he's a real good defensive catcher with a major league average throwing arm who gets his pop times below 2-0 to second. And Bowie's staff really likes this kid. I mean, uh, the way he's handling things, he's not. he's probably 26, I believe because he was drafted as a senior out of college, so he had three or four seasons before the draft. And he's just quietly progressed up the ladder uh, to the point where I think uh, if they didn't have all the depth that you mentioned, like Francisco Pena and Audrey Perez, who they like a lot too, and Cisco's going to get there one day before too long, and then this guy wins. I mean, he's... he's uh, they would they could use him in the big leagues at some point if they needed him. I mean, right now they're they're set with these other guys, but he's he's pretty solid at Double A. Now I guess if you're sort of in the management, you know, putting on the management shoes for for a minute there, and I don't know how well you could speak to this, Steve, but you've got all these guys at at one position who seem to be very good and they're very young. Um, when it comes to you know maybe kind of trading those assets there for maybe improving the minor league system at other areas or things like that, that's got to be a tough thing because you're wondering, hey. And, you know, these guys are young, so maybe their stock is high, but also they also might not even hit their ceiling yet. So you're not sure if you're if you're getting good value or things like that. That's that's a tough uh, thing to do when you're talking about uh, playing the trading game with the, with a position so deep like that. Well, you know, catching is a good good position to have some depth in because teams are always looking for it. For years and years and years, the Orioles did not have good minor league system depth in catchers. And then a couple of years ago, the Chancisco draft, they drafted three, Jonah Heim, Chancisco, and Alex Murphy, two of the three are still in the system. They traded Jonah Heim, um, and they liked all three, and uh, Austin Wins was drafted, and no one noticed that. And then all of a sudden, as he keeps moving up the ladder, people started noticing he's done pretty well. And they acquired Pena, and they added Audrey Perez, who they like, who's been injured. So they just kept working on the depth, and they've a Reza, I believe is how you say it now. He's either Bowie or Norfolk, a guy they just acquired and they like. So teams are always looking for catching, 
and I think the Orioles feel pretty good about their minor league catching right now. Certainly, as they should. And um, to kind of continuing on the minor league news, uh, the Orioles released their organizational pitcher and player for the month of May. Um, and I know these are two names that, that get floated around. I think fans probably hear them once every in, in a blue moon. But um, it's kind of nice to hear uh, Tanner Scott earned the organizational pitcher for the month of May. I only allowed three runs on seven hits in 18 innings over six starts, which was great. Um, and then in single A Frederick, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, who um, I know – as kind of was kind of a big name for a while there he's uh, hitting 336 in the month of may um so that was two well-deserved honors what can you kind of tell us about what you know about scott and, and mount castle and in your uh, your coverage there well I, I think both these players could emerge at the end of this year as top 100 prospects nationally uh certainly mount castle if his defense were better he would be that uh, and i think that might be one thing hurting his cause because we know he's not rated high defensively it's short and people think he'll have to move off it eventually. But his bat has been special. This year, 20, he's 20 years old at Frederick, so that's really young for the Carolina League. That's a good pitcher's league, and he's raking. I mean, uh, Manny Machado played in that league at 19 and hit about 250, and not with a lot of power. And Mountcastle at 20 in the same league is hitting three-something, and it's got like 12 home runs, and extra base hits galore. And just a real special bat, good bat speed. He's got a good approach. He, another all-fields hitter, uh, very mature hitter for his, for his young age, directed out of high school. And then Tanner Scott, you know, he's doing impressively too, doing some nice things. He's, he, I think he's had two consecutive appearances without a walk. And I don't know if he's done that for a long time because this kid, you know, throws hard, but he's had trouble locking in command and control, which finally is getting locked in. I wouldn't rule out him making Baltimore in the second half. It's happened before where they bring someone directly from Bowie, and if they find a need for a left-hander and this kid can touch 100, and not many lefties can do that, uh, and he starts to get that slider going, which they tell me from Bowie he is now, um, it'll be something nice. And the Orioles concocted a plan for Tanner Scott this year, that is working, and the plan they concocted was we're going to pitch him every fifth day on a starter's schedule, three innings. Between outings, he will get a side session where we'll work on his release, delivery, command, and control, and then he'll throw three innings. And he's not being converted to a starter, but this schedule allows him to work on his two pitches, which he really has two only, fastball, slider, and get locked in. Because if you look at his hits allowed, they just don't hit him much, Brian. And so if he can keep – he doesn't have to have great control with his uh, velocity, but he has to have a competent control, and he's really reaching that point. Well, I think if he can uh, limit the walks, he could make the Orioles roster sooner than we – because, that, boy, that's a, uh, that's a precious thing, especially with the Orioles starters this year. I feel like controlling walks and keeping those guys off the base paths and extending those innings has just been one of the top problems you know, for the starting rotation. I mean, you know, Jake McGee, remember him from the Tampa Bay Rays? Yeah. Real hard-throwing lefty, was a weapon late in the games. I've heard people compare Tanner Scott to Jake McGee. He could be a Jake McGee type who could come in in the seventh and eighth inning and throw 98. And I mean, he legitimately throws 96 to 100, and some guns have caught him 101, 102 in various stadiums. Um, but really, he's 96 to 100. I mean, his low end is 96. Uh, that's that's the lowest one he usually throws, and so 
His slider can be 88 to 91, um, a power slider. And he's a good kid who wants to be better. And they tell me he's much, he's showing more poise this year. In the past, if something went wrong on the mound, maybe he would, wouldn't handle it as well as he now is. And he's just growing and developing. And, you know, guys we're talking about, like uh, Scott was a sixth-round pick. Mancini was round eight. Austin Wins is round ten. Mountcastle was 36th overall, so he was a high pick, but he wasn't a top-ten pick uh, like Manny Machado. And so some of these guys are doing well. Um, you know, it's nice to hit on these picks throughout the draft as it looks like they're starting to. And it's amazing to look back because you, at these guys, as you mentioned, they get drafted really after the top 10 in the first round of the, of the first-year player draft because, you know, yeah, it gets publicized on MLB Network and at least the first round, but the draft is so long, so many rounds, and continues over so many days. But from a, from a public perception, the guys that get drafted after these rounds, boy, there's really no public profile for them, and it's it's kind of on them, as it should be, to kind of to kind of make their way through the organization and let fans know, hey, you guys, your team drafted me. Um, I'm I'm here to stay, and I'm I'm ready to contribute for you guys. So that that's that's good to see for for those guys that maybe get drafted a little later to to really blossom. Teams have to hit down in the draft. They just have to. I mean, Albert Pujols was like round 13, just hit his 600th home run. You can get good players, but you can't count on it, and you can't even count on the top picks. Like people say, well, the Orioles should have hit on Dylan Bundy and Gosman. They're the fourth picks in the draft. But I'll challenge any fan. And you can go to Baseball Reference. It'll take you about 20 seconds. Look up the all-time number four picks in the draft, and you will not see all-stars littered all over the place. And, again, these were fourth. Three players got drafted ahead of them, and that's it. And it's not a star-studded list of stars because to make the draft in baseball is very different than any other sport. Uh, you can't just because your first-round pick guarantees nothing. Uh, sure, you can get a Machado, but you can get Matt Hopgood, who didn't plan out. And and the Oriole fans uh, bring up Hopgood, but all teams have uh, their Hopgood that didn't pan out and was a high pick and got a lot of money. And so um, go go through any team's first-round picks, and I'm, I'm telling you, there, there's some teams will do really well, and you'll go, hey, these guys did really well. Yeah, but then you can the next 10 may not. Uh, so it's hard to do. Uh, I never believed it, but I do now. When a scouting director told me about 10 years ago, hey, Steve, we draft 40 guys, and we get three or four to the majors. That's a good draft. I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's they, they, and then they drafted 50. Now they draft 40 rounds. So they're going to draft 40 players, Brian. They might only sign 20 to 25, 28. And now those 26, 28, if four or five make the majors – and if a couple become regulars or even all-stars, that will be considered a good draft. And you can go back through drafts and do that. And sure, you're going to find occasionally you'll find one where there was more than four or five, but it's not a lot. It's amazing how it works. But we'll see the draft, uh, first-year player draft on June 12th, and we'll actually be releasing an episode on, on draft day. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the draft uh, next week. Again, the Orioles, as, as you mentioned last week, Steve, they kind of hold things close to the chest, which is good. You don't exactly want to be releasing your, your draft plans out there in the, into the ether. But um, we'll kind of take a look at maybe where the Orioles sit and uh, what positions they might be looking for. But um, I kind of want to wrap things up, Steve, talking about uh, Fred Manfred there. Um, I know, obviously, you have a, a long career in broadcasting and, and you know covering the Orioles, and um, I'm a little bit less on my way of covering the Orioles career, but I've been around for a few years now, and I think when it comes to guys who just 
just are the, the top, you know, the cream of the crop when it comes to to doing covering baseball on radio and and covering the Orioles. And when you think of the Orioles and sitting outside listening to them on the broadcast along with Joe Angel, um, you're thinking of Fred Manfer and his last game was uh, Sunday against the Red Sox, broadcasting on 105.7 The Fan. Um, he's headed towards uh, retirement. It's not an unhappy exit. He's going to retire down in Tampa Bay and uh, spend some time with his grandkids, I think he said. But um, just what are, you, what are your impressions on Fred as, as, a, as a broadcaster first and I guess a, as more importantly as a person from what you know? Well, you know, Fred had, had an outstanding Oriole career, you know, 25 seasons in the booth, this being the 25th, and, you know, greatly reduced the schedule this year and to some extent last year. And so he knows retirement's been coming for a while for him and basically told me that uh, they sold their house in Falston sooner than they thought, so he's moving south sooner than the original plan called for, but he's going to, as you said, spend time with family, especially his grandkids, and he's going to be loving life. But, you know, really a good broadcaster, that incredible voice we've heard with Fred. You can just, you know, that's amazing, booming voice. He and Joe made such a great team. The chemistry has both talked to me about it for a story over the weekend you know, as Joe Angel said, we were lucky. You know, we just meshed. Our styles just work beautifully together, and it's been a comfortable time. They just are so comfortable with each other. They're very close friends on air and off, and it just worked. And so Fred was a great listen for Oriole fans. He loved the team, native of Baltimore, played at high school not far from Memorial Stadium in Camden Yards at Patterson High and got to live out his dream, you know, work in the booth, and we got to work with Chuck Thompson. So he's had an illustrious career, and as a person, people hear him on the radio, and they think, this guy must be a really nice guy. He is that and more. He's an amazingly nice guy. And, Brian, I'll add that personally, on a personal note for me, when I first got a chance to come to Baltimore on the airwaves in the late 1990s, it was so exciting for me because this is my hometown, the Orioles, where I always wanted to work. And I was equal parts excited and terrified because I wanted to do a good job and I wanted to stay, you know. I'm like, if I got my chance in Baltimore, I better not blow it. And one of the first people to take me aside and say, hey, you're doing a good job. We're glad you're here. Let me know how I can help was Fred Manfred. And I'll never forget it. Uh, he supported me. He filled me with confidence. And he he never wavered in that support and friendship. And so uh, I love that guy, and I always will. And I'm so happy for him that he had an incredible career. And now, uh, as he gets a little older, 70, uh, he's going to have a great life with his family and enjoy all the fruits of, of, of a 40-year plus, a 47-year career. So it was a great day. Uh, Fred got a lot of attention uh, Sunday, Brian, and he didn't want it. He didn't want it. He's not a guy who wants that. But I think in the end he realized that he had to accept the love of everybody because they wanted to give it to him. And he was happy to do that. Yeah, and he's he's left such an imprint. You know, I think the thing that I'll always – be fascinated by from him is and as you know a long time in radio you don't have the the visual aid of of seeing a game when you know when you're watching as a fan on tv you obviously have a 
the 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 TV picture and, and baseball is such a visual game and when you're trying to deliver the game's action via the radio when you know that your listeners don't have the uh, the visual aspect of it you have to sort of create that with your descriptions and know what to talk about and what, you know how to describe things and I felt like that was where he he just shined again he working with Joe Angel and I, I could there there were days I mean certainly no uh, no disrespect to to the mass and broadcasters or anything like that there were days where I preferred to listen to the game on the radio uh, you know versus the TV just because they like you said joe and, and fred just work so well together and they could bring that that game the game to life you know it, it just just out of a little radio and just just calling the simplest plays you know absolutely they 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 found the right tone between being very serious about their job their work and the game which they are but no, never losing sight of the fact that it is a game and we're here to have fun and you know joe uh and Fred, I mean, Fred was the big boy, as Joe called him. He's my big boy, Joe said, said Sunday. He'll always be my big boy, you know. Uh, they just kind of had their little pet names for each other. And as Fred told me, I got my nitpicks back sometimes, but the fans just kind of liked how they, how they kidded each other and uh, never lost sight of the seriousness of the game and did, did a great job as, uh, you know, the eyes and ears of the fans who couldn't watch or wanted to take their radio to the beach or were driving around. And some fans, as you said, Brian, they prefer radio. They love, they just, uh, there's something special about baseball on the radio. And, and they might even, might even be nights they have access to it, to the telecast, but they don't want to hear uh, Joe and Fred. So it's kind of sad. We won't hear them together a lot anymore, but the booth will go on in great fashion. Of course, Jim Hunter is calling a lot of games on radio and he's excellent. And he and Joe are also, developing their own great chemistry now and then so many others jump in there and do a good job from time to time dave johnson and mike bordick and ben mcdonald so the oral booth is in very good hands but you know it won't quite be the same because uh, joe and fred were pretty special together yeah i think that's the hardest thing when somebody leaves is is losing that familiarity but like you said you got you got jim hunter who's uh, a very just as familiar voice you know with a long time tv and radio career so that'll be that'll be nice to see but very happy for fred and and hope he wish him well down in tampa and we hope to to see him see him later down the road and maybe a little guest guest appearance but um yeah and you know we will that's a nice thing because obviously when the orioles are in tampa I'm, i bet you fred will it's a time to, from time to time show up the ballpark but also in spring training you know it's an hour away maybe not even quite from uh, tampa parts of Tampa to Sarasota, so I'm sure Fred will be a visitor, and uh, he's still going to be around. We're going to see him. That's good. That's great, but he's going to get a chance to be be a granddad, which, uh, you know, he's got a three-year-old and a nine-month-old that he's going to be 10 blocks away from, and I bet you his daughter's loving life. She's got babysitters moving in right down the road, grandmom and granddad, so, so she and her husband can go out for dinner and relax and get some time away while uh, the doting grandparents will be there. Can't ask for anything better than that. So so as we uh, kind of wrap things up, look ahead. Um, the Orioles are headed for a little interleague matchup with the, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates coming to Camden Yards for two games, and then the O's will travel, uh, hop in the car about 40 minutes south and go to uh, D.C. to face the Nationals for the one makeup game. Uh, that got rained out during their series uh, in early May. And in case you were uh, jonesing for a little more AL East action, the Orioles are headed to New York next weekend uh, for a three against the Yankees and then to four games out in Chicago for a nice little road trip there. So we'll, uh, it, uh, the grind never ends for, for the Birds, and it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, come two, two or three months from now, 
just how battle-tested this team is, and hopefully they're still uh, competitive around the standings. I think they will be, but, uh, boy, it just never gets any easier, Steve. No, it doesn't. You know, those first couple of days of June started with them hitting six home runs, and all of us were saying, wow, wasn't, wasn't last June when they set a major league record? And they did. 56 home runs is the most ever hit in the uh, specific month of June last year by the Orioles, and they start off this year with six and two games, and then it cooled off later in the weekend against Boston. So, But I, I bet it will heat back up, and that's what this team does. I mean, they, they can't score runs in a variety of ways, some other clubs, but they're going to bash the ball and – um, they just really need to get some guys locked in for the long haul here, Brian, because their offense has been a little up and down for weeks, and so I'd like to kind of smooth it out a little bit. So we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll see as the Orioles continue to uh, to fight in that, uh, that tough ALE. So, um, Steve, anything else burning on the radar for you? That is it for now. Uh, look forward, as you said, wrapping up the homestand. The Yankee series upcoming will be interesting again, and the draft uh, will be a big topic the week of the 12th, as you mentioned. So uh, before long, Brian, we'll be looking ahead to the All-Star break. That'll be interesting. Can't believe four it's already already on the horizon. Yeah. That's right. That's right. The best four days of the season, we get to relax a little bit there. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. So um, until then, uh, Oriole fans, be sure to check us out on MassInSports.com. Be sure to check out Steve Molesky, where he's keeping you up to date on everything Oriole-related. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud. And again, uh, we'll, we'll talk uh, heavy draft uh, next week's episode. So until then, we'll see you.